Welcome back to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Miltite. This season, we're investigating unexpected markets. And on this episode, we're looking at an industry rising up around professional athletes who rarely leave their chairs. Today's unexpected market, esports. It could be any Saturday night in any sports bar. You know the scene. Fans are gathered around TVs, wearing their favorite jerseys, rooting on the home team. But these fans aren't technically at a sports bar. They're at the Waypoint Cafe, a gaming cafe on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And the teams they're cheering on aren't playing football or baseball. They're playing Overwatch, a video game. Superfan Lindsay Nelson is providing the play-by-play. We're on Oasis right now. This is map three of four. It's, ooh, Agility's just took Libero out of the sky in a Farah v. Farah. Very fun, but they're still being pushed off the point. And YXL has it. It's pretty much 90% one-fight territory. Soon just sent in a self-destruct. Oh, here we go. Overwatch is a team-based shooter game. Basically, each esports athlete plays as a different character known as a hero. As they move through maps, different worlds filled with obstacles, they try to take down opposing teams. In this game, the teams are part of the Overwatch League. Like football or baseball, Overwatch has a league of professional video gaming teams. They compete in matches leading up to one big Super Bowl-esque showdown. On the screens, the New York Excelsior and the LA Valiant are going head-to-head, and the crowd is going wild. Pine got... Pine got a shot. Pine, Pine just got soon with his grenade, with his detonator. People are getting taken out left and right. Custa did take out Libero, though. Farah got uh, beat by the Mercy. So we're still watching here. Kareev just volleyed Pine in the head. Libero got two with his ult. Uh, got three with his ult, excuse me. And NYXL have taken the point. <laughs> Of course, the athletes they're cheering for aren't really lobbing grenades and detonators. They're actually not even in the building. They're sitting in front of computers thousands of miles away in a studio in Los Angeles. But the fans at the Waypoint Cafe don't care. They're cheering every shootout, eyes glued to the big screens over the bar. Sure, the Waypoint crew could be watching the game from home on one of the many sites that stream games live. But Mars, another supporter, says it's not the same. These people have become my family. I'm here every week. The better thing about, you know, watching esports with people is the energy. And YXL have been in stage two playoffs and stage three playoffs. And I watch them with all these people. And there's videos of us all jumping together, hugging each other. It's just the energy of all being together. It's just like going to a bar and watching basketball. It's not just at the Waypoint Cafe that fans are gathering to watch professional gamers play video games. In 2017, esports attracted an audience of more than 380 million people, many watching games in cafes and arenas around the world. Esports might not seem like a real sport, but it is a very real market. Just like any major league sport, the world of esports is quickly populating with ticket sales, sponsorships, merchandise, and advertising. In 2017, the esports industry was worth an estimated $700 million, and it's projected to increase to about $1.5 billion by 2020. Today's unexpected market? Esports. How did child's play evolve into a multi-billion dollar industry? Will esports be a fad? Or is this sport here to stay? 
Lindsay, the super fan who did commentary for us during the Overwatch game, is, stick with me here, part of the Five Deadly Venoms, the supporters club for New York's Overwatch team, the Excelsior. The team is modelled on football or soccer supporters clubs, one that have made teams like Chelsea and Barcelona and their jerseys famous worldwide. The Venoms were started by another fan, Rich Ng, who organises the watch parties at the cafe. Watching people achieve excellence is a basic human nature. For Rich, the joy of watching pro gamers is the same as watching other elite athletes. You know what? I watch pro darts as well. And the Brits have a great old time watching Boxing Day darts. You know, that's a big thing. I watch a bit of snooker every now and then. I don't know why. I don't really understand it. But I will watch it because it is amazing to see these people do that. So whether it's the flick of a wrist or it's, you know, LeBron dumping in another 50 points in a game. These are all aspects of human excellence. Rich doesn't just watch video games. He plays, too, and has since he was a kid in the 80s. And in fact, competitive esports dates back to that same era, when Atari promoted video game competitions for iconic games such as Space Invaders. Journalist Jacob Wolf, who covers today's esports industry for ESPN, says it's come a long way since then, and it's still moving fast. It's a technology industry, and technology continually evolves. Four years ago, he covered his first big stadium esports event. I can't explain how my mind was blown. Going into like the food catering line with these players that I've idolized for four years to like walking into the basketball stadium and it being full with all these people watching. Now, stadium sellouts are the norm. This year, the Overwatch League final sold out all 20,000 seats at Brooklyn's Barclays Center. A lot of traditional pro sporting events don't get that attendance. I believe we, as an industry, are already topping MLB and NHL games. I believe the next phase will be the NFL and then the NBA and international soccer like the Champions League. Esports isn't just attracting fans, it's also attracting sponsors. When esports began, all the sponsors were tech companies selling a mouse or a PC or a chip. That's all changed. I mean, I shaved with a a razor this morning that sponsors an esports product. I used a hair gel esports marketed product. Now that's not because it's esports, it's just because these are really giant brands. These brands sponsor both leagues and teams. The structure of competition varies depending on the game, but as in most professional sports, there's one league with teams representing different cities. So in the Overwatch League, for example, there's the Philadelphia Fusion, the Shanghai Dragons, and the New York Excelsior. That's the team that the fans at the Waypoint Cafe were cheering on. And why do people watch others bang on a keyboard when they could just do it themselves from their couch? For the same reason people watch Ronaldo or LeBron or Aaron Judge. You're watching people who are loads better than you at that game, and that's why they're playing on the highest stage at the highest level. Brian Nowak is a managing director at Morgan Stanley, where he produces research on the internet, gaming, online advertising, and the digital space. Five or ten years ago, those areas were fairly distinct. Not anymore. When you think about the impacts of what's happening in online gaming and digital gaming and how that impacts online advertising, how that impacts e-commerce, there are a lot of similarities and commonalities that we see across the space, impacting both consumer behavior the way advertising dollars are spent, the way consumer wallets are trending. So the the worlds really are melding. 
As these worlds combine, the possibilities for ancillary markets expand. Team logos lead to branding, which leads to advertising, which leads to sponsorship, all creating a more dynamic, thriving industry. First stop in the esports marketplace, of course, is the teams themselves. Here's how it works in the Overwatch League. So an owner of a, a team in Boston or a team in Dallas of an Overwatch team, they are buying the, the rights to the Overwatch League within that city. Those owners might be an individual or an institutional investor. They sign a team of players who compete in tournaments. Owners make money from the streaming rights and from live stadium events. In Asia, these live shows are common and incredibly popular. In the US, the speed of ticket sales can be a surprise to investors – like that Overwatch match at Brooklyn's Barclays Center. When that event was first announced, there were more skeptical investors who reached out to me saying they're going to have to cover the top bowl and they won't be able to sell out. But it did. And the speed of ticket sales turned investors' heads, Brian says. Most esports gaming doesn't happen live, though, at least not yet. By 2020, many major cities in the U.S. will have dedicated esports arenas where they can watch their local teams – Until then, the competition to broadcast games to fans will be fierce. There are leading sports TV networks that are already hosting and showing esports events on TV. So check, you have that. But the real area of rapid growth is in digital online streaming. Gamers go and and watch and spend their time watching their favorite teams or their favorite players play and compete, both on a live basis as well as even on on a time delay basis. And if you watch them live or if you watch them on demand, again, there's color commentator, there is full analysis of the play-by-play. Then there are the less obvious monetization opportunities. Brian anticipates fantasy esports leagues. Similar to uh, traditional sports where you build a, a fantasy team of your favorite football, basketball, or baseball players, you can see a scenario where if you're a fan of Overwatch and the Overwatch League as a for instance, you may build a, a fantasy team of some of your favorite Overwatch players and actually compete against your friends about how your fantasy Overwatch League team does versus their team. Unlike most sports teams, esports teams also sell shirts. Not your typical cotton poly blend, though. Shirts made of pixels. We do think that's going to be a real trend of people buying essentially digital jerseys and digital tchotchkes that their avatars wear. And so it stands to reason that if you are a person that plays Overwatch and you're a fan of the Boston Uprising, you might want to buy a digital jersey of the Boston Uprising so that you can wear it while you're playing Overwatch. There's another unexpected market in esports, the market for talent. And that's not just players. Teams have nutritionists because the teenaged athletes don't always eat well, psychologists to help with the stress, massage therapists for the repetitive strain wrist injuries, and managers and coaches, many of whom are former players. Because your esports life expectancy is pretty short in that by the time you get to 22 to 24 years old, your reaction time starts to slow down. And so you no longer actually have the ability to compete effectively. So by the time you get to 25 years old, chances are you're going to try to move into the booth to become a commentator or move to the sidelines and become a manager. So esports has all the trappings of traditional sports, from jerseys to coaches to announcers. But there's one thing that esports lacks. History. Most of our big broadcast sports are decades old, at least. People first started playing professional baseball in 1871. With those deep roots, the future feels fairly clear. Esports, on the other hand, feels like uncharted territory. 
But more and more investors are willing to jump in and see where the esports market goes. Brian's team published a major report on esports early last year, and only about 20% of investors believed the market was real. I would say over the course of that year, we've gone from 20% of investors believing to about 50. And I think that really the point that's going to sort of bring it even to a a bigger majority will be when you get into 2020, when more investors can actually go and witness firsthand just the individual city-by-city passion for these teams and for the esports phenomena. Thanks to his work at ESPN, Jacob Wolf has seen more of that first-hand gameplay than most people. He thinks gaming as a spectator sport is just getting started. It may not be the current game titles, but I think there will always be something. I think that there will always be people that play video games and want to watch other people play video games. I don't think that behavior changes ever, really. I think that the future of the industry is pretty bright, and I think that more and more people as literal children start to get older and and want to watch something and have entertainment, it will be more watching video games than it will be watching sports. And if you ask Arena, another fan at the Waypoint Cafe, there's no question. The esports industry is here to stay. Because so many of us play games, and because esports is creating community. I feel like everybody loves video games in one sense or the other, whether it's like a phone game or just like playing it online for like eight hours. Um, Just knowing like how many people are like really big fans of the game and would do a lot for it. Some people come here every week from New Jersey or like upstate New York to watch the game together. And we just love hanging out with each other. And Arena says, if you're thinking about checking out an esports event, the fans will make sure you feel welcome. If you don't understand the game too much, like obviously someone will explain it to you and then hopefully you'll like slowly understand and like can enjoy like the gameplay that's happening on screen so you can watch it together with us. Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. If you want to listen to our previous episodes, you can head to morganstanley.com slash ideas. And don't forget to enable Morgan Stanley on your Amazon Alexa and add us to your flash briefing to hear our thoughts on the market and ideas briefings. This is the last episode of this season. We'll be back with a new season soon. If you're going to miss our show, we have something to fill the void. Here's a sneak peek of our newest Morgan Stanley podcast, Access and Opportunity, hosted by Carla Harris. Carla talks with investors, entrepreneurs, and activists about why historically female and multiculturally owned businesses are overlooked as good investment opportunities. Together, they give us a playbook on how to deal with these market inequalities. Hi, welcome to Access and Opportunity, a new Morgan Stanley podcast that helps connect capital and communities. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and I'm a vice chairwoman and managing director at Morgan Stanley. Now, you might know me as an author, or maybe you've seen me give a speech at a finance or business conference. But if we don't know each other yet, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I look forward to hearing from you as we take this journey together. Now, you're probably wondering, why another finance podcast? Well, here's why. I've come across a real issue that I think we should all be talking about. Why are female and multicultural-owned businesses overlooked as good investment opportunities? 
In this show, I'll use my decades of experience on Wall Street to explore this problem. We'll talk to incredible guests about the misconceptions around women in multicultural-led businesses, but more importantly, the incredible opportunities that exist in investing with these groups. If you look at Department of Commerce studies, the longitudinal study of minority and women-owned businesses in America, Mm -hmm. it demonstrates that their growth rates are faster than the S&P 500. We'll talk to successful entrepreneurs about how they've overcome the capital gap and what they're doing to help change the game for young entrepreneurs right now. Capital wasn't available to us, and it's not for lack of effort. One of the things that becomes very clear to you as a black entrepreneur is that we don't have businesses of scale. There is no opportunity to partner with another black business to scale. And so for us, that meant we need today to find a partner that can give us the ability to scale so that we can take that and invest it back into other businesses and people of color that will now give us an opportunity to to build global platforms. And we'll consider how different entities like nonprofit organizations can help women and multicultural entrepreneurs. Grameen is an entity that was created by Professor Muhammad Yunus of Bangladesh, And so we have been involved in expanding the model from New York City to 13 other cities around the country, providing over $800 million of loan capital to immigrant women at dollar amounts as low as $1,500. Whether you're an investor, an entrepreneur, or someone who wants to solve inequalities by taking advantage of market inefficiencies, Access and opportunity has something for you. Come on and join me for the ride.